2: Shane Hallam joins us in about 20 minutes. He's the draft analyst for Draft Countdown. Looking forward to that conversation. Chad hit on all these mock drafts and how they've got to have a new version of it, right? You do it weekly, you can't have, you, you have to have some controversy, right, to get some buzz going, clicks. Don't buy into it. We'll get Shane's thoughts on the quarterback position where everyone, I think, consensus is it's Bryce Young. And then everyone
1: else. When you produce a mock draft that leads to headlines for other news outlets, right. Based on your mock draft, you've done it. That's right. what I'm guarding against. But right? There. But you've with what you should believe. No, you've done I'm it right. You. Your you, company's very excited, right? You've, that you've done that. But when all the team websites pick it up and others pick hey, it up nationally, then you've you've done it right is, for your company.
2: This is not us saying that Richardson or Levis that they're not first round picks, but not just first overall in the draft that's what we're saying hit us up you can follow us on social at outkick360 you can join chad in the chat as well on youtube hope you'll subscribe while you're there uh so the packers are interested in aaron Rodgers returning as long as the veteran is all in on returning um Pelissero says if he wants to return to green bay as long as he's as, as long as he's fully bought in the packers want him back They had good conversations after the season. I feel like that report, you can copy and paste every offseason with this saga. If he wants to return to Green Bay, and as long as he's fully bought in, the Packers want him back. At some point, you have to realize it's not going to be that way, and you have to sever ties. One way or the other, you got to rip the Band-Aid off. Unless you want to run it back for one more year and you think you're actually in contention... Which I guess with Aaron Rodgers, you feel like you always are because two out of the last three years he's been the most valuable player in the league. But Chad, this is this is every player, every organization wants this from their quarterback, from their running back, from their left tackle. Doesn't matter, but especially from a guy who's a future Pro Football Hall of Famer. Yeah, we want him all in, but. That's what all these other teams are trying to figure out. What's the value of Aaron Rodgers if he's here for one year versus what we're going to trade away? Or Derek Carr, right? Like that's the dilemma that some of these teams are in. The Jets come to mind.
1: But the Packers as well. I do think the Packers saying this, though, carries even more weight given their shared history with Aaron Rodgers. So just those words, if he's all bought in. He was bought out when we drafted Jordan Love and didn't tell him. We had to reel him back in. And then he started yeah. playing well, and he, he got a bigger head, and he's the MVP again, and he kind of checked out a little bit. He's got problems with the head coach at times and decisions made. He's had problems with the front office. Every offseason now we're asking the question if he's going to retire or want to move on or come back. So I completely agree with you, Hudden. Every team, you could copy and paste that for every team – with every quarterback and every star player in the league. But I think those words have added significance when you factor Aaron Rodgers in recent history with the Green Bay Packers. Now, if you're the Jets or the Raiders or anyone else interested in Aaron Rodgers, you're asking the same questions about his level of buy-in and where he is right now, where he's about to be 40 years old playing playing quarterback in the NFL. So that's all reasonable as well. But I do think the Packers, when they... If that's going out through Tom Pelissero, there's added weight to that, given the, the history with
2: those two. But then you have Bob McGinn who's saying they're, they're done with Rodgers. Yeah, they're out. He's not coming back. I mean, they're disgusted with him, and they're done with him. They're moving on. But then you have Jeff Darlington who says, I had a conversation with a very important Green Bay Packers source who quite honestly believes that Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers and that all of this is being overhyped. He looks at the contract that Aaron Rodgers signed last year and the commitment that he gave to the team and believes that at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers. Again, like Bob, Bob
1: McGinn had the first again. report,
2: right? Yep. That sparked all this. Yes. Right before he I, went into I the see darkness this retreat.
1: In terms of reporting, <laughs> I see this often. Like One thing comes out, usually from a local reporter, and then those that have contacts, every yes. all these national guys have contacts with every team. Yeah. So their contacts with that team then reach out and say, "This report is BS. If he's bought in and ready to go, he'll be a Packer next year. Or this absolutely is not." My point is, if you look at sequential reporting, a lot of times local beat writer puts something out doesn't seem off or anything, but it's really strongly worded with Mm -hmm. their unnamed sources, then another unnamed source in the organization sees that report (laughs) and wants to dispute it, so they call Adam Schefter or Tom Pellicero or Jeff Darlington or someone else, and they get the word out through them that, oh, that local beat writer's report is in fact incorrect. So, I don't know who to believe. And I don't know whose sources, I don't know who Bob McGinn's talking to to who Pellicero's talking to or Jeff Darlington, but... Well, Bob McGinn is, is, I, is using I, that.
2: His, his report is more of an opinion. Yeah. Because he's doing it based on his knowledge of the organization over the course of the last two and a half years. Well,
1: everybody's an opinion. I mean, you know, what, what we're getting from Pelicero is right, yeah. that's an opinion of someone in the organization that a source is saying if he's bought in, then he's back.
2: But like, So McGinn says they've turned the page. They don't see Rogers as a guy who's really working hard anymore. But then you have the other one where they're basically saying the same thing. Yeah, they're if saying the same thing. In, if he's bought
1: in, then yeah. he can be back. How could you possibly believe he's bought into your organization right now, though? But also, like, he's not really they're working kind of hard answering anymore. The, when they say that, they're kind of answering the question. The guy just did a darkness retreat after the season to see visions yeah. about what he should do next. That's not someone bought in. Well, but he, he wasn't – was he bought in the last two off-seasons? And he, he was great the he's, prior he went, he two years back to this to back MVPs, one. back-to-back MVPs. I think something changed but this apparent, year. Okay. And it could be the injury. I mean, I, granted, you know, he's 40, about to be 40, and he got injured. Devontae Adams isn't there. That, that hurt, too. Other issues I, on the offensive line. Point I mean, being, uh, I yes. think all of these factors we're pointing out with Rodgers and the Packers led to him not being quite as invested or bought in over the course of the season. I could see some of that as the year went on. And I think that's probably the case now. Hunt. if I told you, you know, I'm going to go on a darkness retreat over the weekend, and on Monday morning I'm going to wake <laughs> up from that darkness retreat and rise up out of the cave and decide if I want to do the show on Monday <laughs> or not. You would not take that information and say, boy, Whitrow's really bought in to doing this show with me next week. There's no way to possibly think that. That's fair. You're not bought in. And that's what the Packers are, are saying with this but this the, report. But every off season so far when this has occurred –
2: not the same storyline, but the same storyline. They've ponied up and paid the guy. They've made. Will they again? They've made concessions to make sure that he's happy. And the other report is Jordan Love's going to ask for a trade, and he should, if Rogers is back.
1: Not sure what Jordan Love is going to get on the open market. Not sure Jordan Love cares. He Does, just wants a chance to go play somewhere. Yeah, he just wants to try to go play.
2: Uh, Rihanna's Super Bowl halftime show led to an uptick in FCC complaints for being too "quote unquote" sexy. Uh, this story at, at outkick.com. So you've got pregnant Rihanna on stage. The I mean, the only thing going on really was the everyone dancing in white, right? She, she barely moved on stage for what I was watching. I don't know how you took it, Chad. I didn't view this as like anything crazy
1: the dancers were moving sexy at times uh, she didn't do a lot of movement yeah. I mean, you're right she's pregnant I think, I think rihanna looked great but like she's on stage and pregnant so she's not yeah. doing a lot of gyrating is right my, is our point here's my big question who in the hell <laughs> calls the fcc on anything wives of men who are watching
2: but these, like this the, one, how is
1: that your response or just pick up the remote <laughs> and turn it off like if your man is too turned on what turn it off like, that's, that's your first step. If you hate it so much or it's too, just turn it off. My seven-year-old daughter was watching, and at times with some of the dance, I'm thinking, you probably shouldn't, don't dance like that. We're going to tell, like, Evie, don't dance like this, right? Because she's trying to do some of the dance. We're like, do not we don't want you dancing <laughs> like this, okay? <laughs> okay. We're having to explain uh, that, it. That's but fair. never in my life did I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the FCC and make it, file a formal complaint right now. Who are these people that call the FCC? That's what I want to know. turn it off or turn the channel an uptick meaning
2: how many though i don't know so
1: i I just i find that whole thing fascinating like that your response is going to be to uh call the fcc and call in a complaint like that's gonna i mean i don't anyway it was still whatever it's that's my big takeaway if you've ever contacted the fcc about anything anything dance moves being too sexy a show that you don't like anything, please hit us up on the YouTube chat right now, and/or tweet us at OutKick three sixty. I would love to hear from the people that actually contact the FCC about anything. We've had the director of the FCC on a Ajit show. Ajit Pai. Ajit Pai. He's a huge Kansas City huge Keys fan. Cheese I, don't fan. Know, I don't think he's in the position anymore, though. Great guy. Great, Great guy. Dude. Yeah. You know who doesn't want to hear? From people commenting about sexy moves during the halftime, I Ajit bet, Pai, I
2: bet, the director I bet of the FCC, the doesn't even want to hear from him. I bet he was watching the halftime show.
1: I, I'm sure he loved it, like the rest of us. <laughs> well, not the rest of us, but I'm sure he liked it. Yes. Just uh, again, incredible. I, I don't. I, again, I want. I want to know people that contact the FCC. Chad, so Nate Oates has talked
2: again about how everything has been handled in Tuscaloosa. And we're getting this text uh, from Dave, who just sent uh, from Michael Rosting of ESPN, quote, and this this is from Nate Oates, correct? We've been taking it very seriously from day one. The first minute that I got the information, I called Greg, and we talked about it, and the severity of it. Greg, I thought, did a great job addressing those comments on Wednesday, and I really don't have much to add to it. We feel like we've done the right thing in this case, so I'm going to leave it at that with Greg's comments. Speaking on behalf of Brandon Miller and the decision to continue to play him, which we'll hit later, which is an international story now, not just—it's just, yeah,
1: it's just you know, a lot more a of nothing, right? They're just gonna—they're dug in. They're saying we've handled it the right way. Let's move on. And here's Greg Byrne's statement on it. It's kind of what he said after the other night after he apologized for the way he came across the first time he talked about it. When the Brandon Miller story came out, I decided to engage with an Alabama fan last night for a solid hour, and it was a complete waste of my time. Back and did forth feel on better? this.
0: No. At what point did you I, feel I like, feel any oh, I've
1: made a huge mistake? Well, this I will say, this guy was a little better than some. I've engaged with some other people on Twitter that I really regretted. Oh, so it was Catfish. At the end of it. Because I felt like we were like, now now we're having a conversation, and we're like, you know, yeah. point counterpointing, yeah. and then 30 minutes later, they... Uh, <laughs> They argue with me about something totally different. I'm like, okay, I made a big mistake. Time to mute. Because this person just <laughs> wants to fight me on everything now. I could say the most logical, normal thing, and they're going to tell me why I'm wrong, so I, I mute button. But I was going back and forth an Alabama fan last night, and here's the hardest thing that I think Alabama fans – some are way over the top. You can go to Clay Travis's Twitter feed and see the over-the-top ones where he's getting family death threats from Alabama fans if he ever <laughs> comes to Tuscaloosa again for saying the coach should be fired. Um, The big thing that I keep coming back to is he transported a murder weapon to the scene of a murder. Mm -hmm. And when I say that to the Alabama fan, they say, there you go, spinning it again. And I I, I said, I'm not spinning it. What words are factually incorrect? Was the murder weapon there? No. Did he bring the murder weapon to the scene of where the murder happened? Yes. There's no, no one disputes these facts. What the dispute is, is that the attorney is claiming he never knew the gun was in the car. He never saw the text message that he got before he arrived about bringing the gun back, that it was hidden under clothing in the backseat, and they went in there and got it afterward. If you want to believe that wholeheartedly, fine. I don't buy that story completely. I think he knew they had a weapon on them at some point. I also don't think Brandon Miller showed up and handed a gun to someone and say, oh yeah, go kill the person you're going to kill now. I don't believe that either. And I don't think you should be charged with a crime. I don't think you should be playing basketball for Alabama. I've been consistent with this. But when you tell an Alabama fan he brought a murder weapon to the scene of a murder when the weapon wasn't there before, they can't wrap their brains around that. They think that you're spinning it in some way. I'm not spinning anything. That's what happened. Well, and- A young mother was killed because the gun that he brought to the scene, however it got there and however you want to believe it got there, it got there because of him. So that's the facts of the case. People go to jail for less in other states by not knowing a thing, but unknowingly me, being an accomplice in something like this. So let's not act like this kid's being persecuted over all this. He's faced no punishment. We just watched him score 41 points and win an SEC game on the road the other night. And he's pointing to guy's his, his arm like he has ice in his veins. Yes. As he does it. This dude is fine. The rest of America, and by the way, the mother's parents – who's now raising her five-year-old child, they get to watch this all the time now while he's out there having fun playing basketball. How do you think that makes them feel? Don't ask that to an Alabama fan. You're not going to get a very well, sane response to that one. It, it, it's plausible he didn't know the
2: weapon was in the car sure. when he dropped them off at 25. It, it's, it's uh, 1225 uh, Sports Bar.
1: It's possible. But
2: he knew the weapon was the car when it said, when the text was said that said, bring me my peace. Now, they're going to argue
1: he never saw that text. But he just randomly showed back up? He, he looked down at his phone and didn't see that. They said, come get pick me up. Then they said, was it a separate text? According to... I think it was all in the same text. Come pick me up and... Bring me my piece. It's same time. Again, uh, this is what Alabama fans will say. And they keep going back to this. Well, the dash cam will prove that we're right and you're wrong. No one's saying he killed anyone. What is the dash oh, cam going to here, prove? Here's
2: exactly what it said. Culpepper, the... Uh, the police officer slash investigator here uh, says that Miles texted Miller in the early morning hours saying, quote, I need my joint.
1: Yeah, joint. That was it, not peace. Yeah. So, and then again, you can choose to believe the defense I, attorney statement. I don't fully believe it. I'm not saying the guy should be in jail. I'm not saying his life should be over for this. He's going to go to the NBA next year. He's going to be a millionaire. Right. I'm just saying, you know, maybe... Bringing the murder weapon to the scene of a murder that happens to a young mother should, I don't know, cause you to not play the rest of a basketball season. Crazy, I know. I know that's shocking to all the Crimson Tide fans everywhere. Shocking stance. Shane Hallam joins us. We'll get back
2: into this, chat coming up next hour. Shane Hallam joins us when we come back. Do we get to talk Will Levis? Countdown. Next segment? Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. Hendon Hooker? H- I mean... Yes, and all the other all quarterbacks that will eventually be number one overall prior to the week of the draft when all of a sudden all the mock drafts will go back to Bright Show. That's next when Outkick get 360.
1: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th
2: Outkick 360 rolls on. 6th and Peabody, our location. Friday edition is here. Yeehaw, beer, old Smokey Moonshot.
1: Quick uh, college baseball big news. All right. Tennessee coach Tony Vitello has been suspended for this weekend's three-game series against Dayton. Uh, They've got a big-time prospect that is ineligible that they've been uh, investigated for tampering before he left his previous school that's at Tennessee. They're supposed to know something, I think, this week about it. Hmm. So this may be part of that. He may have to serve a suspension before the player comes back. But uh, it just says right now, suspended for this weekend's three-game series against Dayton. Anyway.
2: And Trey, Trey Wallace had the story on. at OutKick earlier today on this. Yep. Uh, you can check it out there. Uh, Shane Hallam joins us of Draft Countdown. Shane, we, uh, we started the show earlier with a, a mock draft. It, it is the... It is the season of mock drafts, but we saw today where there's a mock at CBS of Anthony Richardson, number one overall to the Indianapolis Colts. What do you think when you see that? Because we think clickbait.
0: (laughs) I I think probably, Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson is interesting. The upside is huge when you have a player that's 237 pounds, can run in the four fours obviously like he can, but. There's never been a player taken in the first round, a quarterback that's had uh, as abysmal of a completion percentage as he has and only as a one-year starter. Um, you know, Josh Allen's the only comparison, but he, he started for two years at Wyoming. Uh, Anthony Richardson only started one. So I think it's a really big risk for a team to take him. Does that mean a team takes a chance in the first round? I think so. But number one overall seems pretty ridiculous, I think, for a team to do when you have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud in this class.
1: You know, balancing the the what we've seen from the unseen or the potential of guys, especially at quarterback. Richardson's a great example of that. Haven't seen a ton from him at Florida, but obviously the physical ability is there. Will Levis, uh, I think another example of this. When I say Will Levis, what comes to mind, Shane, based on what we've seen from him at Kentucky in these two seasons versus what could possibly be there in the NFL?
0: upside absolutely comes to mind with levis as well the, the nice thing with levis is if you go back a year then you see the potential that he has because he played really well last year at kentucky with wando robinson the new york giant wide receiver there uh he was healthy the offensive line was better and so you start to see the upside with will levis uh i i struggle to think it's going to be an immediate transition levis lost out the sean clifford quarterback at Penn State who's not even going to sniff the NFL. And this past season, it was really rough for him. He he was injured. He made a lot of bad decisions, had some inaccurate passes. Uh, I I think there's a lot to work with. So when you talk about Richardson, you talk about Levis, it's about what can we as a coaching staff do to take these physical tools and hone them into an NFL player. And and, in my opinion, that usually doesn't happen. We have the rare Josh Allen home run, but we have a lot more of the Jamarcus Russells and the Drew Locks of the world who were drafted based on that upside that never came to fruition. Uh, I I think Levis is pretty solidly going to be in the top 10. I think teams like that. He worked in an NFL style offense. He does have a high football IQ, uh, but has some progression to go. I feel a lot more comfortable with him than I would uh, Anthony Richardson.
1: So not Anthony Richardson, but two guys I think that are actually viable for the number one overall pick are Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. How do you compare those two guys likely to be at the very top of this draft?
0: I, th- I think Bryce Young is the guy that you want if you feel really good about the athleticism and you're not worried about size. If you, if you don't care about the size of the quarterback, you take Bryce Young all day, every day. He he can run ice cold veins. You know, he was under pressure in some big situations the past two years and made some accurate, crazy good passes um, even you know, this year, Alabama's weapons weren't very good. I think people think Alabama oh, probably had a ton of ton of players. This year, he he carried that offense so much. They didn't have a great running back, they didn't have a great receiving group. Um, he carried them to as far as they could go, and much better than they probably should have gone. Um, uh, I, I think if you don't need to that big size, then you like Bryce Young. There's some concern about him getting injured, he got banged up this year, taking those hard hits. He doesn't have a big frame. C.J. Stroud, on the other hand, has that frame, has probably a little more of that zip and arm strength in the short to intermediate area. Really good ball placement down the field. If you want your quarterback to be a passer first, then I think you take C.J. Stroud. If you want your quarterback to do both of those things, be able to run around, you take Bryce Young. I really like C.J. Stroud. I have him as my number one quarterback. Just above Bryce Young is super close, but I like how Stroud could put that ball on the sideline. Perfect placement for his receivers. Um, he was super consistent. And we saw against Georgia, against NFL, an NFL defense essentially, him light them up and work through the pocket, work within the pocket when he's getting pressured by Jalen Carter, who will probably will be a top four pick and play well. So I'm in the Stroud camp, but I don't think you can go wrong either way.
1: My opinion of Hendon Hooker as a pro prospect really evolved as this year went on. I think it's easy to look at that first year and say, OK, let's see a little bit more of it. Is it a system thing? Is it a quarterback thing? And then I watch him think you know, he's 6'4", 220 pounds. He's got the size. He's got good zip on the ball. He throws a good deep ball. He doesn't just take off and run at all times, but he can run. He doesn't throw interceptions for the most part. Um and I think he's a better prospect than maybe I gave even gave him credit for going into the season. What do you make of Hendon Hooker combining the fact that he's coming off an injury and he's 24 years old?
0: I think those two knocks are relevant for NFL teams that you know they're going to be a little bit concerned. Especially if you want to take Hendon Hooker, you probably do want to develop him in an NFL system. But he has the tool set to be maybe the steal of this draft because, like you mentioned. I mean, He stepped up in a big way, put Tennessee as a national title contender uh, for a while in this season. And he, he was playing with some good receivers, but you see the progressions. You see him really work a defense. What I love about Hendon Hooker is he looks off safeties. He really uh, changes the defense with his eyes. And I think that's something that's really hard to teach and develop into the NFL. So he can come in and do that. I think if you're a team that may be has a quarterback, maybe you assign a a Daniel Jones or you assign a kind of a a short-term stopgap solution. I'm looking at Hendon Hooker in the second and third round. Let him rehab, let him learn NFL offense, and I think he can hit the ground running. Uh, Like I said, I I think he could end up being a steal in the second round and, and better than a guy like Will Levis, better than a guy like Anthony Richardson when it comes to being an NFL quarterback.
2: On Twitter, you can follow at Shane P. Hallam who joins us from Draft Countdown. Looking ahead to next week, Shane, Who are two or three players you expect to win the combine, win win over all of the discussion throughout the week based on workouts, measurements, interviews, whatever it might be? Who would you point to?
0: Well, I'm going to go running back first. I think there's always a running back that impresses. I think it's going to be Texas A&M running back Devin Achain, who is uh, might have the fastest forty time out of anyone at the combine. It's possible for him to be in the mid four twos, maybe four two five to four two eight, and he's small. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him come in maybe 190 pounds, 195 pounds, bulk up a little bit. You watch him at Texas A&M. I mean, he ran hard. So I think the measurement, the weight along with the 40 time and, and the kind of explosion of some of the the vertical leap, you know, he, he is an absolute freak of nature and uh, as a track athlete, I think he's really good. Um, a guy that's already got some buzz from the senior bowl that I think is going to come in and, and do really well is Luke Musgrave, the tight end out of Oregon State. Only played two games this year, but it's very likely he's going to come in about 255, 260 pounds and run in the four fives. As a tight end, that is absolutely ridiculous. And so the upside's there. This is an excellent tight end class and tight end group. Um, so that, that he's, he's a, a player that I'm excited to watch. And uh, I think could start to challenge for the first round if this combine goes really well. Uh, And probably the last guy, I'll I'll go with a a name under the radar at the linebacker position. Owen Papawi from Auburn is uh, someone who hasn't gotten a ton of buzz. He wasn't able to play in the all-star game circuit. But uh, a really great athlete, uh, versatile sideline to sideline. I expect the shovels to be good. I think he could run the four threes as a linebacker. That's pretty unheard of. Uh, it's a fast track there in Indianapolis. So I think we're going to have a lot of good times. It's a good tight end receiver, running back, corner class, fast. Uh, this It's going to be a fun combine.
2: At wide receiver, Johnston, Smith and Jigba, Addison, others. Where does this wide receiving crop pair up at the top of the draft to last year where we saw a big run on them?
0: It's not as good as last year at the top. I, I think that is the problem with this receiver group is you probably don't feel great about drafting one of these receivers where, you know, like you said, we had Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams all go in the top 12. I'm not sure we get a receiver in the top 12 in this draft. Yeah, Jordan Addison from USC is really good, but he's gonna come in 175 pounds. Didn't have the dominance that Devonta Smith had, like to take him that high. Quentin Johnston is raw. I think the combine is going to start to get the talk if he runs in the four fours. To maybe this is the guy you take a shot on because he's six four, two twelve, and can run that fast and is that athletic. Um, And Jackson Smith and Jigba, the combine is going to be huge. It's going to determine his stock. So uh, I I would guess we don't see a receiver go as high as the top four went last year. I do think as a whole, this group of receivers is a little more deep. And day two is going to be filled with some more impact players than last year was.
2: Who do you have ahead of the other, Jalen Carter or Will Anderson? And I know like they could be drafted at, you know, one or the other based on team need and how they view their overall defensive personnel. But I've seen multiple draft analysts put these guys ahead of one another, and it really is a flip of the coin.
0: It is. They're both elite defensive prospects, so I can't knock either one. I have Will Anderson higher because, to me, the edge rusher – is reign supreme. I think that's just more important for a defense to get after the quarterback. Will Anderson has shown that he can do that every single year. He was 18 years old and he was clowning on these offensive tackles that were 21-22 going into the NFL. I'll take that guy all day. Just give me that guy. I think Jalen Carter's tremendous and he he can pressure from the interior, but I mean, he he two gaps and he stops the run really well too. You're kind of going to bring him in to be a three-tech I think there are teams. The Bears' defense does run through the three-tech position. I think they could look at Jalen Carter over Anderson, but to me, give me the edge rusher. That's the guy that's going to impact the game. Unless you're Aaron Donald, I think it's a little harder from the defensive tackle position to do that.
1: From edge rusher, a very important position, to the guy blocking the edge rusher, offensive tackle, another very important position in the NFL. How is tackle at the top of this draft? Specifically, there's some teams right in the middle of this year's draft that really need a left tackle, what does that position
0: look like this year? It's good. Uh, it's really good. We may not have that elite number top five and a number one talent, but I think we have guys when we start to see 10 Philadelphia, 11 Tennessee. We, I think we're going to see a run of those tackles pretty quickly. I still like Peter Skaronsky, the offensive tackle out of Northwestern. The combine's going got to determine a lot for him. His arms aren't super long. He's not super big, but – Like Rashawn Slater, his former teammate, he was absolutely dominant. I think we can see him, Broderick Jones from Georgia, Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State go boom, 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 like 10, 11, 12 in that range. And then the back end of the first round, I think we're going to see another three offensive tackles go. It might be Darnell Wright from Tennessee, who's gaining a lot of buzz. He's three hundred and thirty-five pounds. He, he's he's spectacular. We're going to see Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, who's very athletic. He's going to have a good combine to get his name up there. And then Dewan Jones from Ohio State, the other the right tackle from Ohio State. He uh man, he he was a beast at the Senior Bowl for the one day he was there, but the the way the way in there, he's on he's ridiculous. His hands. When he comes into the NFL, we're going to be the eighth largest in NFL history. Uh, DeWan Jones, I think, has the ultimate upside in the tackle position. I expect to see five or six go in that first-round mix.
2: Shane, where does Stetson Bennett fall in this draft? He's a bit of an unknown. Um, when I say that, I mean like, where he goes on day two, day three. At this time last year, everyone was saying, well, he's, he's undrafted. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Where's the value of Stetson Bennett in the NFL?
0: I think he's a solid day three pick. He's the the winning is going to win some teams over. There's some old school coaches I think that are going to like him. Um, I think the combine's going to be pretty big for him in terms of size. Is he going to be over 200 pounds? You feel like he could take a beating in the NFL, and and he can move. So to have a player who I I thought in the playoff, uh, both against Ohio State, he made some key plays. Once again, against defensive players who are going to play in the NFL, you start to think. Maybe this guy just gets it, just has kind of that it factor. I think round four, round five, you take a chance on a player like Stetson Bennett, see if you can develop him. It wouldn't surprise me if we see a team that, you know, maybe drafted a young guy last year, maybe Atlanta with Desmond Ritter, and you bring in Stetson Bennett and see if you can develop him. Maybe it's a Brock Purdy situation that emerges and Bennett's really good. And now you just got to steal a quarterback. I think teams are going to look at that and maybe go with him over some other quarterbacks in this class that don't have that upside.
2: Shane Hallam with us from Draft Countdown. So we were mentioning Anthony Richardson and the mock drafts, whatever for number one overall. What is real next week is players have a chance to move up around. Who is on that fringe first-round grade that right now is probably a second-round pick but has a chance to really jump into the first round and get that fifth-year option?
0: I think receiver has a couple of those players. Jalen Hyatt, the receiver from Tennessee, uh, right right there. I mean, he had a spectacular, you know, game against Alabama, had a great season scoring touchdowns. I mean, I think the combine of Jalen Hyatt can get in the four threes. Now you're talking about, well, after those top three, you take the shot on the guy that dominated in the SEC. I I think that moves him into the first round conversation. And there's even some thought that maybe Jalen Hyatt could move to be the top receiver in this class when all said and done. I think there are a lot of edge rushers that are going to make that move up. Um, So, you know, I, I think along with Hyatt, You have someone like Keon White from Georgia Tech, who's 267 pounds, super athletic, great first step, powerful. And I think he's going to come in and have a really good combine and move up. I think the edge rusher group is pretty similar. There's some productive players that aren't as athletic. So you can see an athlete like Keon White moving up into that first round mix. Um, and I think corner is the other position we're going to see guys really ascend and in, in, in make that jump from second to first round. Uh, Deontay Banks from Maryland, 6'2", 205. He's long. He's athletic, a long strider. Uh, he's probably going to have a really good vertical leap, show the explosion. I think he's a corner that can move into that first round mix um so it's it's going to get interesting i'll give kind of one sleeper that's not really on the day two radar but i think it's going to maybe even get some first round buzz is corner dj turner out of michigan i think he's going to run in the mid four threes six foot 181 had a really good season uh i think we'll catch some buzz with dj turner by the end of next week
2: chad shane started that with jalen hyatt who told us at the super bowl he's going to run four two nine four three oh that's how fast he He's believes.
1: trying to set some records, yeah. is what he told he us. Says, that was his but, goal.
2: But here's the thing, Shane. He's, his stature, when you see him in person, you're like, and I think you let off the interview with him by saying, like, what do you say about teams that are going to say you're too small to play in the NFL? He's, he's, he said, you've got to catch small.
1: me. <laughs> his, his
2: response was, we'll try to catch him. It's me. imperative that he runs well next week. If he does that, you know, all bets are off of where he goes. He's a first-round pick. He made the right call.
1: Well, but, and he even told us that you know he, he would not have considered going pro early if he wasn't if he didn't know he was a first round pick yeah which was interesting He said if I, if I got a second round grade I would have come back to Tennessee for another year but he's very sure now that could be agent speak right when you're going to making the rounds he's saying what you want to happen yeah. and making it happen but uh, he seemed pretty confident to be a first round pick but he's he's not a not a big guy no at all it, it, we, we interviewed uh, cam Smith also from south carolina and shane i look at corner there are some bigger corners in this draft joey porter jr you know jumps out to me he's another great prospect what do you think about the depth at corner for some possible first round guys in this year's draft
0: it's a great class like i think a guy like cam smith uh, you you mentioned that you talked to in a typical year i would say man he's he's locked into the first round and he might be a first round pick but I don't think he's locked in just because there's five or six corners that are right there with him. And it's going to come down to team preference. You mentioned Joey Porter jr. From Penn state. I think he's the physicality he brings to the table. Being 196 pounds, six two, we have a lot of these six two corners. Christian Gonzalez from Oregon's probably the smoothest athlete. I think he's the easiest transition. Still super young, but then you have uh, an older guy like Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois, four year player, uh, played in the slot a lot, played outside, and and you watch him, and he is just stuck. To every receiver, he covers these Big Ten receivers that are really good. I mean, he is always in position. So I think Porter, Gonzalez, Witherspoon, probably going to be top 15 picks. And then you, you get to the Cam Smiths. You get to Keeley Ringo from Georgia. Had a rough playoff. But ultimately, you know, he's going to run in the four threes at 205 pounds, 6'2". He's a five-star recruit. Like He is an athlete that can be molded. Um, I even like Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, who had, I think, two or three pick sixes this year uh, in the SEC. So it's a stacked group, and it's a deep group. There's some day two corners that I look at, and I say, I think this guy can start in the NFL. I think right now, NFL teams need corners. They are lacking in that position to cover the, the receiving weapons that are out there.
2: Shane Hallam has been our guest, draft analyst, and managing partner for Draft Countdown. Great work, man, and thank you for the insight. We'll catch you up soon.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Oh, Shane Shane, Hall- Shane P. Hallam on social. If uh, you'd like to give him a follow, we will as well. Uh, hit us up there at Outkick 360. Coming up, Ben Stiller takes a stand for comedy. Next on Outkick 360. Oh, kick three sixty rolls on. Chat. I I feel like we had this conversation a week and a half, two weeks ago, maybe. It does feel
1: fresh on the mind.
2: Okay, this movie. So we Tropic Thunder, The Hangover, (laughs) Old School.
1: Old School. We can can keep going. I don't think there are words used in Old School and um, and The Hangover that. Looking back now, The Hangover was 2007, 2008. That would be edited out of the movie before it was released.
2: I don't think you could make The Hangover now.
1: Yeah. I mean, Steve Carell... Could you make Superbad right now? I think you probably could. Um, The Hangover, no. Old School, no. Steve Carell said you couldn't make The Office now. Talking about an Office reboot, he said, I don't think we're in a place right now where people would like it as much. I, I
2: think you can make it as long as you're with a streaming service, like you know, with Danny McBride, for instance, who is in Tropic Thunder, or Chappelle, or others, including Ben Stiller, who's not apologizing for Tropic Thunder. I make no apologies, he says, recently tweeted when someone claimed he he should apologize for the,
1: <laughs> so for the this, film. So this was in response to someone tweeting... You know, stop apologizing all the time when liberals come after you to apologize. And then I think he responded; it was a story, and he said, "I make what's well, a great start to I think Conor McGregor. I make no apologies for Tropic Thunder, saying it was controversial then and controversial now. The controversy is that Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface for the entire movie, well, among other things that would right. be pointed. Right, and here. the joke is that he's such a dedicated... He's like a <laughs> blonde, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Australian actor that's so method that he dives so deep into everything that he never breaks character. And so the whole time, for those who are not aware of Tropic Thunder, it's a movie where a movie's being made and a war breaks out, and the actors in the movie have to fight the war. And part of the comedy of it, which people don't (laughs) seem to understand comedy anymore, is that Robert Downey Jr.'s blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white Australian actor character will not break character where he is some sort of staff sergeant that is a black man throughout the entire time. His name was Kirk Lazarus. <laughs> it is, that was the actor's name. I forget the character's name that he was in the whole time. It's hilarious, right? I mean, the, that movie, the start of it with the fake trailers, <laughs> remember how it opens with all yes. the trailers that all the oh, actors yeah. are in with Jack Black and Ben Stiller? And it's a brilliant, brilliant comedy. One of my favorite comedies the last 20 years is Tropic Thunder so thank you thank you thank you ben stiller for not apologizing for putting such great art out into the world that is tropic thunder yes
2: we need i i crave movies like this yes like the hangover again like i when's the last time we've seen something like that now we have seen like righteous gemstones but again that's a a series we haven't seen the movie like that have
1: we Am I forgetting I was, something? So I, I recent no, I, I can't think of much of anything. I don't see a lot of movies anymore. I watch more shows than anything. I wouldn't know, but uh, like, the, let's talk about the like the first ten minutes of Eastbound and Down, right? When that movie premiered, whenever it was, what 2010, 2011? yeah, somewhere around there, right around the Hangover, I'd say is when that that show started, um, which was uh, yeah, you're right. It's all about
2: two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Tropic Thunder came out then too. Yeah,
1: Hangover was oh nine, was summer of oh nine, I believe. So, yeah, right around that time, that's kind of when things really started to change. But I remember I was reading the Tenderbox, the oral history, the book about HBO, which is great. It's from the same guys who did uh, Live from New York, the Saturday Night Live book that goes through the history of the whole thing. It's a long book, long read, but it's very interesting. And I remember Casey Bloys, who is still the head of all programming at HBO, uh, in that they were talking about Danny McBride pitching eastbound and down. And Casey Bloys did not get it. He said, We are going to offend everyone. This is not funny. But they said that guys on his staff or guys that worked at HBO that were from middle America or the South said, Trust us, this will crush. It is hilarious. Like he is completely going after where he's from. Danny McBride, being from North Carolina, said, This is really, really funny. But the head of, he didn't get the comedy in it. Of course, it releases, <laughs> and, it and it's a huge hit. And people laughed at it. It's a hit, as long as you... Is Eastbound and Down made today to that level? Uh, yeah, with him, he would do it. I think he's safe. He's sort of in Chappelle land where he, everyone knows he's going to go for it. But there's not many And go that, crazy with his there's comedy. There's not many that's willing to just put it all out there. Right. Well, there's also not many that the the, the mob that goes after people, that you cannot you cannot penetrate their exterior in terms of their comedy. Right? Chris Rock... I put in that category Dave Chappelle, no doubt. Danny McBride, there are some protected members of this, right? Bill Burr's been facing backlash for some that He doesn't care. He's not apologizing for anything like Ben Stiller, which is smart. No one should apologize. But comedy's sort of been the l- last protected realm of you go for it and you say things very politically incorrect and uncomfortable as, and you can get away with as it. As long as you That's go That's not been the case for everyone. Recently. Right?
2: Yeah. As long as you're willing to put it out there for any anyone can be in the line of fire. Right? Well, Dave, like that, Dave Chappelle not apologizing
1: it, was good. Yeah. Ben Stiller putting this out is great. Yep. These, the funniest people in the world, which I'd put, you know, Ben Stiller and Dave Chappelle and Will Ferrell and all these guys in that category, Well, they have to protect it and never apologize. Can't apologize. Because if you apologize, I, it opens the door for more of this. Where we've entered a world of censorship. When's the last time everything's going to get
2: taken away? You and I, when we we've been together, what eleven years, twelve years? We when's the last time we recapped it, a Saturday Night Live together? We used to do that. We would DVR record it, and then because they'd have things that
1: were you know funny but wrong. Yeah, but that was the good part of the show. That's what made it funny. And now you don't get really any of that. I'm with you, but think about. You know, I may have, uh, I've got a nephew right now who's in college, and I, I think I've watched Eastbound and Down with him. But think about this scenario where someone watched that show and then five years from now it's taken off HBO Max yeah. because someone's upset with it, and you can't watch that when someone comes of age. It's hilarious. <laughs> but same goes for Tropic Thunder or so, The Hangover. So many movies like this that if they just disappear, you're killing really good comedy. And the bottom line is, is it I've... funny or not? That's this is it. funny. When I explained the premise of Kurt Lazarus and Robert Downey Jr. playing this part, is that not funny? I smile I, I, and laugh hearing that description.
2: I read a piece from Jamie Foxx, I believe, who was quite, he he's like, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder was amazing. Oh, he I'm,
1: loved it. During this break, I'm going to watch the first four minutes of that movie where it's just the fake movie trailer. I'm going to pull up
2: MacGruber. MacGruber, could MacGruber be made yeah. right now?
1: I mean, Kurt Lazarus is a gay monk in a movie trailer to start it. That, that's what starts the movie amazing
2: Magruber McGru-
1: mcgruber too also yeah. not getting made today <laughs> <laughs> no coming up
2: nate Oates defending alabama's response to brandon miller that's next down kick 360